0: Good morning, and welcome to 2024. We haven't been together since last year. When my uh, grandkids kind of getting old enough to figure that out, they, Grandpa, we haven't seen you since last year. We're all excited. You know, my, my son-in-law, <clears throat> uh, as they welcomed their third child, with the oldest being four, he said, long days, but short years. And isn't that true? Sometimes our days drag, but man, the the years just clip along. We're starting a a new series this morning, a four-part series on stewardship. We're going to cover possessions, finances, time, and relationships. So let's open with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we just uh, thank you for this new year, a new start, a new beginning, Lord, and just pray that we can use our time, our possessions, our finances, and our relationships to bring honor and glory to your name. Lord, speak to us this morning. It's not man's words, but your words, Lord. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So stewardship. What is stewardship? I looked up some definitions and, and came up with a couple of steward is a person who manages another's property. So therefore, stewardship is the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. You know, the elders in this story may not be true. Completely coincidence if it's true. I made it up. But the elders were getting together as we were were discussing this series, and, and they got to talking about, you know, how how do we figure our tithe? How do we do all this? And and Don Blair says, well, I figure my tithe on my after-taxes income. I mean, our taxes go to, a lot of our taxes go to help the poor and the needy, and, and so I just figure my tithe on after-tax income. And Bill Teeter said, well, I figure my tithe on the, gross income, the before tax income, because finally the Bible teaches us the first fruits go to the Lord. And then Matt Miller chimed in and said, well, I let the Spirit lead. He said, I go and I take my paycheck, I take to the bank, I cash it in for silver dollars, I go home, I throw it up in the air and tell the Lord to keep what he wants, and I keep whatever comes down. Obviously, that story is not true, I hope. But there is some truth in that story, and I think it's our default thinking that what we give to the Lord is the Lord's and the rest is ours, and that is not true. The rest of my stories this morning are true, as far as my memory and, uh, allows it. When I was five years old, we, uh, I was, up until that time, we lived in town. My dad was a carpenter, and he had the opportunity to move down to Walnut Grove Farm and start farming for, uh, working for Dan Fletter. And so as he got to know the neighbors, uh, the, the neighborhood down there, he was talking to a man a neighbor, a farmer, uh, Frankie Bauer, who happens to be Darren Yergler's grandpa, if you know Darren. And he was talking just to get to know and kind of converse with, with the neighbors and with Frankie, and he said, he asked Frankie, Frankie had cattle back in the hills back there, and he said, Frankie, how many cows do you have? And he said, I don't know. I don't count them. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine, saith the Lord, quoting Psalms. And he meant it. You know, that may be a poor business plan, a poor way to run a farm, but it's a great attitude for our relationship with God. He understood the truth of that. That all he had was God's. And he acknowledged it. See, Genesis, at the very beginning of creation, one of the first, uh, I don't know, jobs or responsibilities God gave to Adam and Eve, he said to tend and keep the garden, the garden that God had created, God's garden. He told man, man to tend it and keep it. In our series in Haggai a few months ago, Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And Psalms 24.1 and 1 Corinthians 10, repeated by Paul in 1 Corinthians 10.26, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. See, the worldview is, I've worked, I've earned, I've saved, I've paid for it, It's mine. But those of us that claim to be Christians, call it what you want, born again, saved, believers, converted, persons of faith, if we have placed our faith in the shed blood of Jesus for our justification, forgiveness, and redemption, we are not our own. By your very faith, you acknowledge and declare that you are not your own. And that Jesus is the Lord and owner of your all, life and all that you have. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. We acknowledge that not only are we gods from creation, but we are doubly gods by redemption. Purchased back, redeemed by the shed blood of Jesus. So we have our relationship with God, our spiritual relationship. We call that the vertical relationship, where we bring honor and glory to our Lord and Savior and to our Father. We have communion, we pray, we have relationship. And then we also have this horizontal relationship with our fellow man. What does that look like if we are gods, if we have been bought with a price, if we are no longer our own? I believe there's basically two charges that we are given. First of all, we heard it in the, in the missions v- little video, to take the saving gospel of Jesus Christ to our fellow man. Not only to the foreign countries, but to our neighbors. To those we work with, go to school with, associate with. And the second one is for our relationship with fellow believers. To encourage them, to disciple them. And those that are struggling to restore them. So how does that, what does that look like? when we think about stewardship of our possessions the things we own of our stuff it was the summer of 1970 and the Jesus revolution came to Tremont those of you if you watch the movie it was in the theaters a few months back the Jesus movement went across the nation it was a I don't know what the term organic, it it didn't come from the churches, it didn't come from the evangelists, it was just the Spirit of God moving. And there was a group of young people that started meeting at the Tremont Park, praying together, worshiping God together, getting saved. by faith, taking Jesus Christ as their Savior. At this time, there was a, a couple in our church, Harlan and Eloise Fletter. Harlan had been a lifelong farmer and had just recently, uh, he's uh, the father, of, uh, they're the parents of Jackie Petrov and Tom and Ken Fletter, And Uh, It was a tough farm to make a living on, and Harlan knew that Tom and Ken weren't going to farm, and he surely knew Jim Petro wasn't going to. (laughs) And so he started uh, studying real estate, started developing his farm, and started selling real estate, and Eloise was a a secretary up at Tremont High School. And as these teens were, were meeting in the park throughout the summer, pretty soon the weather started uh, turning against them. And Eloise, by being at the school and, and it was uh, Ken was involved in this, knew of this, these kids meeting and praying and worshiping God. And they thought, this is not going to work in the winter for them to meet. And they invited them into their home, opened their door, pushed all the furniture out of the living room every Saturday night, threw out the pillows, and invited those young people to come in and sing and to pray and to worship their Savior. Oh, I'm sure the furniture got scuffed, The walls got banged up. I mean, you don't invite 20, 30, 40, 50 teenagers into your home and it's going to stay the same. They opened their dining room table. The kids wanted to come for a meal. And then Harlan and his development, his real estate was becoming successful And Ken's vision decided, you know, we're going to outgrow our home. We need to build a building. And he took one of his lots, a choice lot that he had developed, and he built a cabin. Fifty-three years later, those cabin doors are still open. You know, I never, I shouldn't say never, I very seldom ever heard Harlan stand up in front of the the group and talk. But his heart was open and his home was open. And the Spirit of God used it. Thousands of young people Through those fifty-three years. Because he opened the door of his home. A year or so ago I happened to run into a young young man, he's not so young anymore. And he found out my name. He said, Did you used to, did you used to help lead at the cabin? said, yeah, I said, you know, I knew nothing about Jesus and my friend invited me and I got saved. And now my children are saved and grew up in the Lord because someone opened their door and invited young people in. You know, it's kinda, as I was preparing this message, my, I went back to, uh, in, uh, I believe it's Second Kings chapter 4 that talks about the Shumanite woman, that the prophet Elisha was traveling through and she, she realized he, he uh, needed, he was hungry. So she kept inviting him in for the meal and told him, hey, anytime you're coming by, you know, you're Welcome. And pretty soon she said, you know what? He's tired. He needs a place to rest. And she built, she had her husband build a room, a place for Elisha to stay. And Elisha says, well, what can we do for you? He said, I'm good. I don't need anything. Well, it ended up she was barren and had a son. And I thought, you know, that's kind of a, Harlan and Elo, kind of a modern-day Shumanite woman. They, they started feeding them, and pretty soon they built a shelter for them. Possessions used for the Lord. What about inviting somebody in for a meal? Maybe just a cup of coffee. Maybe you need to, someone needs a ride to a doctor's appointment, you could take them. Maybe you could loan them some tools or help them with a project. You see, when we give money in an offering box or drop coins in a red kettle, that's great, it's wonderful, we should, but we're not really involved in that. Uh, we hear the missionaries come, and, and we can pray for them and, and, and feel a little bit part of that. But, but, you know, when you invite somebody in your home, you're, you're, you're involved. You're part of it. So we kind of look at hospitality And this morning, I I don't want to limit hospitality to inviting somebody into your home. It's just becoming involved with someone with with whatever means you have. But hospitality, the act of entertaining guests with a genuine warmth and generosity. In 1 Timothy, if you'd want to look, open your Bibles. It's page 994 in the Pew Bible. As I was preparing this, it, it, this, these verses hit me like I, I just had never really thought of them. 1 Timothy, in the first part of chapter 6, Paul is warning about the, the desire and the love of money and possessions. And, and, and don't we think about that when we think about money and possessions in the Bible? It's more warnings against but it's it's really warnings against the love and of making idols of them and, and thinking of them as our own. But if we look down at chapter or verse seventeen, chapter six of First Timothy, and as for the rich in this present age, and I would I would just uh, as I was meditating on these verses. You know, when we think of rich, we think of Bill Gates or uh, Warren Buffett or someone like that. But, And maybe this is just my opinion, but if we could read it as, For those that have means, have a car or a house or a kitchen table, In this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I just never put that together, that God has given us the things we have to enjoy. Not in a selfish, self-centered way, because he goes on. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for the, themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of what, of that which is truly life. And that ready to share, those that are enjoying the, the things that God has given them, ready to share, You know, that's one of those words that the translators have trouble with because the Greek, there's just really no English words that fit that. And I could give you the Greek word and I couldn't pronounce it anyway. But it cares, it's so much more than writing out a check or dropping a coin in a red kettle. In fact, if you have the old King James, it uses the word communicate in some other translations. Instead of share. And as I looked at it, this, the Greek word actually, some of the terms that help describe it, associate, companion, fellowship, partaker, partner. In other words, it involves a personal involvement in the sharing. It's actively taking part Sharing what God has given you to enjoy. You know, as I googled hospitality, if you think God thinks it's important, it, it came up with a hundred verses concerning hospitality. And in fact, if you look at the, the uh, qualifications to be an elder leader in the church, given to hospitality... Ways to use the things that God has given us for His glory and for others. You know, the we could stand up here and give just go endless in the different ways that we can show hospitality, that we can share being involved. We've mentioned a few. You know, it can go all the way from planning a play date in the park for your friends to having someone come and live in your home. But as I was thinking, what do you enjoy? What has God given you that you enjoy? Use it for Him. And then you get a double enjoyment out of it. I enjoy a good meal. But if I share it with somebody... I get double enjoyment out of it. You have a barbecue grill? Use it. Use it for God. You enjoy a wiener roast? Use it for God. But you know what? Be intentional. Be intentional that this is for the Lord. This is to share Jesus with others. It's interesting how much, what a prominent place food and eating and feast takes place in the Bible. Just consider, just in Jesus' life, the, th- the three years of his ministry, all the instances involving sharing a meal together, either he was feeding them or he was being fed, eating at sinners' places with the publicans letting Mary and Martha enjoy their hospitality in their home. It doesn't have to involve food, but there's something special about sharing a meal with someone. Jesus shared it in his parables. And you know what? It's not about having the perfect food with the perfect decorations, with a beautiful place setting and with lovely furniture. That's not what it's about. It's not about impressing people. It's about caring for people. Could I just repeat that? It's not about impressing people. It's about sharing Jesus with people. What what is the what is the um, what hinders us from doing this doing this more? Another story, number of years ago, and I don't remember exactly uh, the time frame of this. But when we the church was still over at South and Harris, and we had bought a a house uh, next to the church, just in case. Someday if we needed to expand or needed to expand parking, uh, we had bought it. and So it was livable, and some of the different missionaries lived in it uh, on their uh, time at home. And one time a, a, a need was made known to the church that there was a young woman, a young wife, that was in an abusive situation, uh, Needed to get out of the home, had no place to go with her children. And so there was a lot of discussion about, uh, and the the person that brought the attention to the church wondered if they could, this person could live in that house. It was empty at the time. And so uh, there was discussion, and, and, you know, she was allowed to live there with her children. There was a a certain number of, Guidelines that she needed to, to obey, to, to have the right and the privilege to live there. And I don't remember exactly the time frame, but it wasn't long and she would not abide by those guidelines. And it was um, pretty obvious that things were going south in a hurry. And so that she was asked to, to move out since she would not abide and of course, as often happens, the church she sullied the church and blamed them and and <clears throat> said that you know we didn't care about her and and a number of things like that. and you know it was just one of those uh, bad deals. I don't know if you've ever done something nice to someone and have them turn on you, but it's not that uncommon. and so afterwards, you know. Uh, there's. We had a lot of discussion. Well, shouldn't we let her live there? Uh, what mistakes did we make? And and I don't know. Maybe it was just in my own opinion or thoughts. Or you know, I decided. You know, we had obeyed the Lord. We felt that the Lord wanted us to offer that home to that person, and they chose to to. Reject that care and love, and that doesn't mean we shouldn't have done it. See, this isn't about results, that's up to God. This is about loving and caring. See, there's a cost. There's a cost. There's a money cost. There's finances. If you bring some people in, even if just a simple meal today costs. It takes time. I'm sure we'll be covering that in a future sermon. You know, things get broken. You bring a lot of little kids in or a bunch of 20 teenagers in, Floor gets stained, things get broken, damaged, worn out, stolen. Sometimes it takes us out of our comfort zone, and we like our comfort zone. And maybe it's just fear and anxiety. I'm not good enough. I don't have a nice enough home. I'm not a good enough cook. I'm an introvert, and and I don't even know what to say. Okay, invite somebody that's not an introvert to come along. You know, Josh Juckums or, (laughs) I don't know, Jim Petro, somebody that can carry the conversation. You know, it's not a big deal. There's not a lot of fear and anxiety involved with uh, inviting a few people over for a picnic in your backyard. It's a whole different deal, inviting 500 people for a picnic in your front yard. (laughs) I know it was a number of years ago. As most of you know, if you've been here a while, we we hold Harvest Time services in our front yard. And... uh, I don't know there there's just a lot of anxiety and fear. Fear of someone getting hurt. You know, we've gone on a hayrack ride and 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 if there's an accident or just a you know, maybe it's my age getting older. But you know, the, there's an interesting verse in Proverbs 27:12. It says, "The prudent person focuses, uh, uh, foresees the danger ahead, and takes precaution." You know, when when, when we invite 500 people over for our harvest time services, we take the pitchforks out of the barn. We, I don't leave my wallet laying on my nightstand. Don't let fear keep you from sharing and being a steward of your possessions for the Lord. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be prudent. Heidi and I had a a young lady live with us for uh, a few months. She came out of a hard place, it was scary have her come. We committed it to the Lord, but we were prudent. I was never home with her alone. We didn't want any false accusations. We didn't leave our credit card laying around or our wallet. See, it's, there are times we need to be prudent, and if you're contemplating inviting someone to live in your home, you have an extra bedroom, an extra bed. Maybe it's a child through foster adopt or foster care or adoption. Maybe it's a young adult. We have this tension between stepping out in faith and fear. Attention. And these are big decisions. These are real big. And we need to commit them in prayer and have others pray for us. We need to seek God through his word. We need to seek wise counsel. And I remember one time Some of you may think that this is a lack of faith or lack of of serving God, I don't know. But we had gotten our foster care license and we got a call about a a young person that had a lot of physical disabilities, a lot of uh, medical needs. And we were... We didn't know what to do. What the right decision was. Because we knew if we brought this young person into our home. Life was over as we knew it. Because it was 24-7. And we had come to the end. We needed to make a decision. We didn't know what to make. And by faith. we took a paper bag we put two slips of paper in it one said yes and one said no and we prayed over that bag and we drew out the no slip and we were at peace with that this is God's work not ours our home is God's, not ours, and He can bring who He wants, and it's okay. See Matthew ten sixteen, when Jesus was sending His disciples out into the world, He told them to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And I truly believe that he would give us the same advice if we bring the world into our home. To be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. See, we need to be motivated by obedience to our Lord, not by results. We want to he wants us to be willing. 1 John 4.18 says, Perfect love casts out fear. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7, Paul says, Apollos waters and I, or Apollos does his work and I do mine, but only God gives the increase or the growth. Are you willing? First of all, what is your attitude about your possessions? Do you hold tightly? Do you think they're yours? They're not. You're not going to keep them. Someday your kids are going to take them all to the share closet. We've been there, done that. I was talking to Ken, we were discussing this, and uh, he said, you know, just a few days before his dad, the Lord took his dad home, Harlan made the statement, I wish I had given more. See, when we come to the end, we'll realize who owns this stuff, not us. I wish I had done more. Let's pray. Lord, you have blessed us with material blessings that many in this world cannot even fathom or comprehend. Lord, give us the reality that they are not ours, that they are yours, but you have given us the job of taking care of them, of using them, of tending them. Lord, help us to use them for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.